Hey everybody, and welcome to Learning From Smart People. I am your host, Rob Oliver, and I am super excited about our episode today. My guest is Dar Dixon. He is an accomplished writer, director, producer, and actor. With over 300 credits under his belt, Dar has been a familiar face to TV viewers for years. You may have seen him in shows like NCIS Los Angeles, Criminal Minds, Supergirl, and Silicon Valley, just to name a few. But there's a lot more to Dar than just his history in Hollywood. As exciting as that is, Dar has an incredible life story, including his escape from the revolution in Iran, to his time spent in a cult, to his passion to reach out and help others succeed in life. As you'll hear today, Dar is going to tell us how he happened to come across Centerpoint Research Institute and Holosync and the impact it continues to have on his life today. It's going to be a wild ride. It's an interesting and inspiring story. I'm really glad to be able to introduce to you Dar Dixon. Dar, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Rob. What an intro. Is that me you're talking about or someone else? That's how I always feel. You know what? It's an amazing thing. It's Listen, it's, it's really cool to be able just to look back sometimes over what you've accomplished in life. And part of that is what you have been able to achieve. And part of it is how you deal with the circumstances that surround you. And so I guess I, let's start right from the beginning. And you weren't born here in the United States. You were you were born in Iran, if I'm correct. And can you talk to me a little bit about like your childhood and what was going on and then kind of how you escaped from that? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I was. I was born in Tehran, Iran. And uh, my father was is the Iranian, uh, an American. He's been American longer than an Iranian. And my mother is the white girl, the American. And they met here in the United States um, on a blind date, believe it or not and got married. It was kind of the classic fell in love at first sight. And they moved to Iran. I'm not quite sure why, but at any rate, that's where I was, as my father likes to say in his engineering humor, made and produced. I was made and produced in Iran. And uh, I was born an American citizen, but since I was in Iran and my father's an Iranian, uh, I'm also considered an Iranian citizen. So I have dual citizenship. Came to the States probably when I was just a little, just about two years old. My, my brothers, uh, I've got three brothers. Two of them are twins and they were born on my second birthday. So all three of us share the same birthday. And therein begins the journey of my life. <laughs> right. Well, I've got three kids that share the same birthday, but they were all born in the same year. So um you're it's kind of like a semi-triplet somehow, um, but that's that's cool. So it is kind of like being a semi-triplet. You are right. Birthdays don't mean as much to me as they do to probably the majority of the world for that reason. Understood completely because you didn't at, at the age of two somebody stole yours. So as a matter of fact, two people stole yours. Uh, so tell me a little bit about then when you're coming to the states. Is that the point at which you're leaving Iran due to what's going on there? Are your parents kind of trying to escape from that or how's it, how does no, that work? No, no, Yeah. Okay. Great question. Uh, no, that, that, so I'm a little bit older and, uh, we came to the States, uh, I was a, a kid and it was the sixties and, um, they just wanted to, my father loved this country. Uh, not that he doesn't love Iran as well, but he wanted to come to this country for all of the, um, opportunities that it affords. 
so that's why that's that's why we you know grew up in the states. Um, we moved an awful lot, and I think the reason was um, he has. That my parents had four children, and my youngest brother was born a few years later. He's seven years younger than me, and all of a sudden he had four boys, and they were eating him out of house and home, and constantly needed new clothes, and uh, you know, sporting equipment, and traveling to practice, and you know, music, and all that kind of stuff. And if he found a better job on the other side of town, or in another state, or on the other side of the country or world, we moved. So. Um, it was great because it afforded us a lot of opportunity to see a lot of the United States of America. And um, with that is just a, a, so many incredible experiences to get to see this country and deal with the different people and the different cultures, even though you're in the same country. There are massive cultural differences from sections of this country, states, et cetera, as, as are now being seen more prevalently. But um, not so much back then because, you know, we didn't have social media or the Internet or these, you know, incredible electronic devices in our pockets to record everything so you could, you know, show it to people. With that beautiful stuff also came some ugly stuff, kind of bigotry and prejudice and a little bit of racism because of our distinctly Persian names. My legal last name is Bijarchi and my full first name is Daryush. Dixon happens to be my middle name. It's an ode to my mother's father. Um, her maiden name. And so, you know, they would call my name in school, Daryush Bijarchi, and inevitably I'd be the first or second person called. And, you know, the Snickers would start. And then, you know, sometimes some some crappy stuff would happen. And we don't need to belabor that point. But I got to see that as well. And uh, it was challenging. And then on top of that, as we got a little bit older and uh, started to get into our teen years, um, it turns out that I have three gay brothers. And so that added to the mixture. So we're white faces mostly. Two of my brothers look a little more swarthy Middle Eastern than me, um, but they still, you know, look like white guys. And then they're gay, and we have these very distinctly Iranian names. And uh, you know, it, it causes <laughs> it causes some things to have to be dealt with that normally aren't dealt with in in uh, in a lot of lives. And, uh, but it's amazing. Now we did move back to Iran for me, moving back from my brothers was their first time. And that happened in 74. And my father had gotten a great job offer with the Iranian government for what they call the ministry of war, what we call the department of defense. And, um, Iran and America in those days in the seventies had an excellent relationship. I know that may come as a surprise to a lot of people. But um, the Americans had been contracted to help the Iranian government build up their uh, military. So they were building um, F-14, F-16 fighter planes, AWACS radar, uh, computer circuitry, that type of stuff. And everything went really, really well up until um, I would say it was like, hmm... It was the summer, the spring of 1977. Uh, I'm, I'm looking back at this now. There was a little bit of unrest. And uh, so the deal was, without telling me what was going on, that I was going to go to boarding school in Los Angeles, California. And I was like, okay, cool. Why? And they're like, yeah, you're just going to do that. And, you know, we'll live here. And then your brothers will come later. And you guys can all go to school. And we'll all meet up during the major holidays. And, you know, summertime we can go and, and you know, meet up some part of the world and, and have a nice vacation together. And, 
And uh, so, you know, that happened. And then it was only after we got to the States when we left Iran that I found out what had really happened. And that was that if you were an Iranian male, which the government considered me, your father and mother had to deposit $10,000 US or 1 million rials in those days, Persian money, Iranian money, in the bank, in the national bank. And if upon the return of the male child, you would get that money back. And the day we left, they lowered the age. I was 15, which I was going to become 15 at the time, which is why they wanted me to leave the country and come to boarding school in the States. Uh, they lowered it down to like, I think it was 12 years old. So it affected all my brothers. And wow. uh, yeah. And so we quite literally escaped the worst part of the revolution with the clothes on our back and our suitcases. It was, it was uh, a major turning point in my life. I can only imagine. So how long was it that you were in the States kind of doing that boarding school stuff before you were able to be permanently reunited with your family? The boarding school stuff became, we're now living here in the United States of America. We can't return to the to Iran. We can't ever return. And so right. it's my mother and my three brothers and I. And so the, then the deal was we had to figure out where we we're going to live. And we ended up landing back in the town we'd lived in uh previously, which was Los Alamos, New Mexico. And uh, Los Alamos, if those are those listening, uh, Los Alamos, New Mexico is home to the National Scientific Laboratories. And that was where the atomic bomb was built by Robert J. Oppenheimer and that group of scientists. Um, a dark stain on our <laughs> our American history that's not visited often enough in, in my estimation. Um, but uh, so my father was working there at, in the labs and that's why we were there. It's a very small town, but that's where we went. And then we waited for about a year and a half for my father to make a safe escape from Iran. And during that time, I mean, I just thought he was going to get killed at any minute. And, you know, I was a young kid. I couldn't verbalize this. I didn't understand it. I was trying to process it in my own teenage brain at that time. And there was no one to talk to, no one to talk about this with. And, uh, it was, it was, uh, that anyway, so that, that's what the deal was. We, we were now established back in the United States of America, minus dad, who we didn't know when he was going to come back. Got it. So that's got to be, as you said, as a kid, that's really stressful. So I'm, I'm thinking about the different experiences that you are having as a kid, um, part of it is being alone at boarding school. Part of it is then being with your family and not knowing for sure what's going to happen with your dad. Part of it is that the experience of having a distinctly Persian name and um, you know <laughs> dealing with the dealing with all of the prejudice and stuff that comes with that. I, I mean, listen, you know, I'm 47 now. I acquired a disability when I was 21, and it took me a long time to come to grips with. The fact that there is discrimination in the world, there is bias, there is prejudice, and it's been probably within the last 10 years that I finally came to the understanding that, listen, that prejudice exists, but it exists in other people, and it's a reflection on who they are and the character that they have and not a reflection on the value that I have. That it, So it's been something that has been difficult for me to learn, and I'm sure that it was something that you had to kind of learn as well. So... Your, in your intro, I talked a little bit about then your experience as uh, you're growing up and you're dealing with being in a cult. So what happened there? 
Well, so as, as you just so eloquently said, by the way, you know, it's so interesting to hear the language you used for that. You acquired a disability. I mean, um, I can only imagine what that must have been like. Uh, and we're going to talk about this because I'm going to have you on my podcast next week. Um, I, I, uh, you're 100% right. Uh, bigotry, prejudice, uh, racism, biases exist in all of us. And you, I agree with you that it is a reflection of that other person and their character. And I would only add to that that um, these are learned behaviors that none of us are born this way, um, specifically with you know differences in cultural and racial uh, differences. And, and education, education and conversation can bridge that gap. And, and I think that's very important. And the more that is able to happen and the more that people are willing to facilitate that, the faster it can occur. Um, yes. So that did leave a mark on me, the revolution and not knowing about dad. And I started to slip. I used to be a grade A student, a grade A, an A student. And uh, suddenly school didn't matter to me. And by the way, I'd been going to private schools in Iran and uh, the schools in, in New Mexico, because the national laboratories were there, were literally, it was public school, but it was literally like going to a private school. That's how good the education was. And so I kind of paid attention the best I could, my, but my grades dipped down to like B's and I got a couple of C's for the first time because I just didn't care. And I started to, you know, drink a little bit, something I never did before and like do stuff that was like crazy that I just, you know, why am I doing this? But I didn't understand. So that kept on happening over the years and we still kept moving a lot. And uh, I, I jokingly say I zigged when I should have zagged. And it was during a time in my life, I was like, well, what's the purpose of life? Why are we all here? What's the meaning of life? And so I started to study comparative religions. And this is not because I started to study comparative religions this is, that this occurred, because there are many people who study comparative religions. And this doesn't occur to them. But I got caught up in a pseudo-religious kind of doomsday cult. And, um, that's a whole conversation unto itself, why it happens, how it happens. But I was at a kind of a low point in my life. I was, I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. And I didn't even notice this until, uh, much, much later. I'd played college football. I'd, I'd, uh, done well enough that they gave me a partial scholarship, uh, at Bowling Green State University in Northwest Ohio, uh, the fight home of the fighting Falcons. And, uh, <laughs> I got... My got my bell rung, as they say. I had a, a grade one concussion the first day of full contact. And I had never had pain, head pain like that in my life. I had a headache that lasts a full week. And then there were all kinds of other things I won't get into. But I think that definitely affected me. And there was a little bit of residual damage. And then, you know, kind of uh, some emotional, I don't know, instability, whatever. But, you know, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, and, and I think all those things factored in to me getting caught up in that cult. And, and it was, um, you know, there were a lot of great things that happened out of being in that cult, but there were far more detrimental, damaging things. And, uh, it took about 20 years total of my life. I was there physically with the group for about seven years, but the, the biggest hook, the biggest problem with, with that is uh, with a cult, any kind of cultic relationship. And there are number, numbers of them, uh, is the, the brainwashing, the mind control. 
and getting yourself out of that is easily the most difficult thing I've ever gone through in my life. And one of the things I'm the most proud of uh, for having worked my way through that. And it's, it's a continual process. You know, there's no like, oh, yes, I've arrived. You know, I'm still working my way through it to this point. But uh, that... Whew, that that's a whole that's we could do <laughs> we could do more than 20 minutes or 30 minutes on that rob yeah i can i can imagine with that so then uh tell me a little bit about uh kind of how you get from there and you end up in hollywood doing all yeah, kinds right. of amazing stuff there so so i mean you say that like it's a weird thing like that's that's like it's not a natural progression <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, somehow it doesn't seem like okay well like i was in a cult and then the next step i took was to be on ncis los angeles it just yeah. um, there's there's got to be something in there that, that kind of yeah it does you're right that's a very good observation i i always wanted to be a performer always but i never really had the guts to do it i like to say and it is true art has saved my life and the tagline of my podcast is art is life and life is art and what i mean by that is the reflection of life through artistic expression, whatever your artistic medium is that you choose, writing, dancing, singing, uh, acting, whatever it may be. Uh, artist and art and artistry is critically important in the evolution of the human spirit. And so what I mean is in my acting and in my writing, I found a freedom and I found a way to express these conflicting, confused, deeply held, you know, suppressed ideologies that had come from this cult or these confusing things that had happened growing up or this racial injustice I would always get and this bigotry and this prejudice or my brothers would get. But that's what happened for me. And that's how I got into Hollywood. I found out I had a facility to act. I ended up getting the first audition I went on. I landed my first gig. That was on a show called Silk Stockings on the USA Network for anyone who remembers that show. And it just really took off from there. I really, really wanted to be in this industry. I really wanted to, I just, I love it. I don't, you know, I mean, I have a love hate relationship with it. There are parts of it I don't like, but that goes with any career, anyone's career, anyone's industry. So I just really worked hard at it. And I, you know, there were a lot of friends I watched fall out along the way because it's challenging. It's not easy to do. It's just not. But uh, I'm still here. We're still kicking. And uh, there's been a lot of luck and a lot of hard work. And uh, when the opportunity presents itself, you know, I, I hopefully I can rise to the occasion. And I've been lucky on a few chances, for a few circumstances. Sure. It's, it, I mean, part of it is hard work. Part of it is finding the opportunity and seizing the opportunity when it's available. And as you've said, part of it is also luck. Uh, so Absolutely. you've had any you've had an incredible journey and I'm just wondering as you've gone through this journey, what would you share with us or as are some of the things that you have learned and some of the lessons that kind of stick out to you most from, from what you've gone through? Great questions, man. Wow. First thing is nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever. Something I learned in an acting class, by the way, uh, this acting coach was relaying his words were to an actor who was having trouble and going through an emotional time and having trouble with their scene. Imagine yourself as an island. You know, you're made from rock, you're steady, you're firm, you're ever present, you're not going anywhere necessarily, right? As a landmass. How about that? That make it easier. Sure. And then you imagine that your emotions are the weather. 
The weather comes and goes. It's never constant. Nothing lasts forever. So just weather the storm of whatever emotional state you're in. And remember, nothing lasts forever. Patience and play the long game. That's the first thing. The second thing is we are all inextricably interconnected. Quantum physics proves that. What affects one of us affects all of us. And when you see injustice, racism, inequality, meanness, violence, ugliness anywhere, it affects all of us everywhere. And if you can remember to do that, and you can remember to stand up and say something in your own way, in whatever way you can, safely, I might add, please do that. Um, we are all inextricably connected. We really are. And anything that tries to tell you there's a separation between you and anyone else or anything else that you're experiencing or seeing, or it, it's just not true. It's an illusion. I mean, I could go down that path. I don't want to start to get preachy, but uh, I, I would say that's a very good starting point. Yeah. And there's a part of it that somehow um, what really divides us is when we begin to focus on the things that we don't have in common, but what unites us is finding the things that we do have in common and looking for the mutual connections, because we'll find that we have a lot more that connects us than we ever realized. And Correct. your discussion about really having a voice and standing up, uh, standing up for others, standing up against inequality and injustice. I, I really, I do a lot of work in advocacy for people with disabilities. You know, I think that's wonderful, Rob. My hat's off to you. Honest to God, my hat's off to you. Well, part of it is just this, that there are people out there who don't have the voice that I do, who haven't developed what I call an advocacy toolbox. There's, I have a number of different ways in which I can do advocacy. And some of them, they don't have that, you know, they can write a letter or they can talk to one person or whatever it is, but all of us need to develop our ability to stand up against what is, what is not right. And to be able to have some way to say, this isn't right and I'm not going to accept it. So I that's absolutely true. I, I want, let me add to that real quickly. So quite by accident, I ended up falling in love with a woman who ended up being, I didn't know at the time, her father and his best friend started the civil rights movement. My father-in-law was Ra Reverend Dr. Ralph David Abernathy. His best friend was Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And together they started the civil rights movement, as we all know. I didn't know that that's who I was falling in love with at the time. Uh, her name is Donzelay, my wife, and she's the youngest daughter of, uh, of, of the Abernathys. And so he was an incredible man, as was my mother-in-law. And I highly recommend you go to, uh, it'll all be in the links in the show notes and stuff that Rob has here. You can go check out my podcast and listen to the Juanita Abernathy experience, part one and part two. That's my mother-in-law. She recently passed away last September. Uh, I miss her every day. She was the greatest human being I've ever met in my life, bar none. And that's only because I never got a chance to meet my father-in-law or Uncle Martin or Aunt Coretta. Uh, but my father-in-law had a great saying, we fear one another because we do not know one another. We don't know one another because we won't sit down and break bread together. Because if we did, if you sit down and break bread with one another, you'll find out that you have more commonalities than differences. And that simple act of breaking bread with someone who doesn't share the same viewpoints, ideologies, concerns, etc., as you is a simple starting point for you to start to make a difference in this world, believe it or not. You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I had Al Condalusi on the program a, a couple episodes ago, and when he was my boss, 
he talked about just that exact concept. He said, it's hard to hate someone that you've broken bread with. And he comes from a big Italian family and it's all about the food and it's all about sitting down to eat together and having that you know time of fellowship and camaraderie around the table and enjoying food. And I think that it is just such a spot on, uh, spot on idea that helps us get to know each other and kind of breaks down those barriers of difference and I agree. Uh, concern and fear. I, if you could just give one quick word of encouragement to anyone out there who says like, I want to be an actor or I want to, I have some goal that I'm trying to pursue that seems like there's very few people that actually succeed at it. What is the one piece of advice that you would offer? Hmm. Wow. Okay. I would say that whatever it is you want to achieve in your life, whatever your dream may be, just assume that it's going to be harder than you can even imagine right now. And if you start there and then you visualize that there's a real chance I'm not going to achieve it, anything that happens that is not that <laughs> is a win, right? So always play the long game. Assume it's going to be incredibly difficult. And then the most important thing is break down your dream, work backwards from it. Ask yourself, what would it look like? What if I were whatever it is? What if I had whatever it was? How would I have to behave? How would I have to think? Those questions will help you get through all of the adversity. Because believe me, no matter who you are, no matter where you are listening to this right now, no matter what your age, your background, your gender, your, your, your sexuality, whatever it may be, you are a person and anyone you look up to is a person too. And if they can do it, so can you. It's beautiful, man. Hey, Dar, I want to just thank you so much for being on the show. If folks are interested in learning more about you, finding out about your podcast, where can they find you on the internet? Go to my website. It's dardixon.com, D-A-R-D-I-X-O-N.com. You can reach out to me there. There's a contact page. I've got stuff on there that lets you know what's going on with me lately, some interviews I've done like this. Uh, my blog posts are there. My, you know, my, my, uh, podcast can be found there the link to my podcast it's also on apple podcast and uh if you're so inclined uh i am going to start putting more content on youtube although i can't believe i'm saying that because that's a whole ball of <laughs> a whole box of work that uh i've just invited into my life um, but for the most part go to my website check it out there you also mentioned to me that you've got a free offering for our listeners tell me about that Yes. Oh my God. I almost forgot about that. So especially in today's world, especially right now with the pandemic, with all of the protests going on over the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis, there is a lot of stress happening in the world. There's a lot going on. And what I have, uh, my, my, pod, my podcast sponsor is Centerpoint Research Institute, and they have generously offered to give away one of their most popular soundtracks. It's called 15 Minute Rescue and Renew. It's an audio file. All you have to do is go sit someplace where it's quiet or lie down someplace where it's quiet, press play on your phone or however you're going to choose to listen to it, sit back, put the headphones in, put your earbuds in, and in 15 minutes, it'll change and reset your entire day. It's incredible. It's awesome, man. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that with us. We have come to my favorite part of the show. Not that anything that we have done so far has been unenjoyable. It's been great, but we have proved that you are smart. I have definitely learned from you, but it's time 
for three questions to establish your humanity. Are you ready for this? I am ready, sir. All right. So in the summertime, would you rather sleep with the window open or with the window closed and the AC blasting? If it's a summer night with wind, the window open. If not, AC. Beautiful. What do you think your 10-year-old self would think about what you're doing today? <sighs> wow. <clears throat> you, mm, boy, you just uh, you got me emotional. I think he'd be proud of me. I never thought of that. Wow. That's cool. Wow. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Sorry about that. No, it's it's quite I, all right. It's I just think, uh, I think he might be proud of me. I, I'm sure he would be. Uh, all right, and last is a super easy question, and that is: Is there any food that you just can't survive without? <laughs> uh. I mean, water, I guess. I don't know if you want to call food that. That's, I don't know. You know, it's not so much that I can't survive without because I like a lot of different things. It's, it's what I can't eat. And, uh, yeah, it's like the internal organ thing and brains and stuff yeah. like that. No. Yeah. My father used to every once in a while try to get me to eat brain or tongue or heart or liver and whatever. And he'd laugh at me endlessly. No. Oh, in fact, I'll here, I know, I know where this is the end of the show. Quick wrap up. It was the George Foreman and Muhammad Ali uh, uh, Thrilla in Manila. We were in Iran at the time. My dad said, oh, we're going to get together and get up and watch it on closed circuit TV, which was a rarity back in those days. This was in 75. I don't remember exactly. Anyway, we get up. We, it's like four in the morning and they made this Iranian dish. And in my, my, my Americanized brain, I'm thinking pancakes, waffles, maple syrup, you know, eggs, maybe some bacon. And I open up this pot and it's called calepache, which <laughs> it's goat's head soup or stew. And I open it up and there's a goat's head in the middle of this oh. soup broth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Welcome to my world. Yeah. Okay. That would be a definite culture shock. Dar, thanks so much for being on the show. You have been entertaining. You've been inspiring. And I'm sure that we have all learned from you. Hey, all of my listeners out there, thank you so much for tuning in today. Let us know what you think. Visit the website. Use the Contact Us page and give us some feedback on this. I will remind you, as always, if you stop learning, you stop living. Have a great day, everybody. 